Beneath the clothes, we find a man. And beneath the man, we find his nucleus. Welcome to A Spaniard. Um, I am, well, I'm a recovering Marvel holic. <laughs> uh, what do I mean by that? I have loved the MCU since the beginning of the MCU, and it breaks and continues to break my heart as to where uh, the MCU is and the state of irrelevance that is in. I am currently watching Secret Invasion. I've seen the second and the third episode, and I unfortunately would have to say that I cannot recommend it at all. Um, there's a lot of things going on with this show that are misfires on, I mean, just an amazing level. First of all, I think I'd have to go back and take a look at this, and please, you, everybody out there can fact-check me, but I believe there was a report out there that this might be the most expensive Marvel Disney Plus show. I don't know if that's 100% true, but I think that's what I heard. I heard that the, uh, or read, rather, that the show cost $212 million to create, which is a pretty crazy amount for a show where not much is going on in terms of anything. The action set pieces are pathetic. The way that they weave people in and out, like the little cameos, are pretty irrelevant. The story is plotting and uh, seems to be going nowhere. Now, I'm sure everything's going to get wrapped up at the end in not a satisfying way, but a way. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a rough time. Uh, you know, a couple of things. I've seen episodes one through three so far. And uh, one of the things that this show loves to do is create... Uh, what would, what would the right word be? It tries to generate drama, and it tries to generate uh, these moments of of uh, gasp, you know, moments these these shocking moments, and they all fall flat, and they're super predictable. And I think that's maybe a couple of sins of this show is that it is incredibly predictable while also not really doing much like I said in the way of moving uh, a story forward because at this point it, if you look at the if you look at the first three episodes on the surface maybe you can get that um, Nick Fury is being deconstructed by the main bad guy because it was betrayal you know the guy feels uh, betrayed 
the uh, the the main bad guy scroll. But it's done in such a bad way that it, you you don't get that sense of um, nervousness or it, there's no kinetic energy to this show. And here, spoilers galore. Uh, so I, you know, if you're interested in watching this show, stop listening now. Go watch it, then come back, and you can hear my perspective on it. But here's one of those moments that's supposed to shock you at the end of of the episode. You see Nick Fury drive to this beautiful uh, house somewhere in a rural area of some nondescript part of Europe. And before he walks into this house that he has a key for, um, there's a squirrel in the kitchen cutting up vegetables. And when the door opens, all of a sudden it's not a squirrel anymore, but it's a beautiful black woman, older black woman in the kitchen. Nick Fury comes, you know, he looks around says hi to her, or or they do like this non-verbal thing, and then he pauses, goes over to this little vase thing, and pulls out a wedding ring, puts it on, and then goes over and gives her a kiss. So, you know, right there, you're led to believe, and then you get to see them meet back in the 90s, and from all that, you come to understand that Nick Fury has been married the entire time that we've known the character uh, from his first introduction in Iron Man 1. So for, And then, you know, we got a little bit of it as history, X story in Captain Marvel. That That's how we found out how he lost his eye, which what a ridiculous way to lose your eye. But uh, anyway, uh, from then until... You know, until now, uh, Nick Fury has been secretly married to an alien. And uh, the problem with the show is it sets up this intimacy at the beginning between Nick Fury and the Skrulls. And it's just, it's confusing and out of character. And now they're building up the reason for that intimacy, but it falls flat. Because you you still don't buy it. it. It's not the character that you've known this entire time. And to be fair, the character in Nick Fury is a mysterious puppet master in the background who, instead of being part of the establishment of evil, he's part of the establishment uh, of good. He's, he's, for example, he's a puppet master, part of the establishment, but his goals are noble. And he's ultimately working for the greater good, even if he gets his hands dirty a lot of the time and makes choices, sends people to things and makes decisions that, you know, would not be considered moral or upright. It, he's, he has to straddle the line between darkness and light. And, uh, you know, and he's got soldiers and part of the soldiers are the Avengers. Part of the soldiers are the spy network, you know, that he has in shield. And then you come to find out that part of those soldiers are the handful of scrolls that showed up with Talos on earth and began to work for him. And this is one of the weirdest parts of this show is in episode two, uh, and and so far this show has been, you know, just cameo, not cameo galore, but it's definitely been cameo heavy. Um, 
So in the second episode, uh, Rhodey shows up, uh, Don Cheadle, and they have this uh, conversation in a beautiful restaurant, and it's just the two of them, and they're it's basically a struggle session, the entire conversation. It's, hey, we're both black. We, uh, it was incredibly tough for us to get here. Because we're black, we should be helping each other out. We shouldn't be selling each other out. We shouldn't be against one another. You know, this is Nick Fury's pitch. And then uh, War Machine's pitch is, yeah, we're both black. We both had to work for it. We both earned it. And, you know, part of that earning is we've gotten to this place, point in time, where I can come here to my former boss and say, you're fired. I mean, it's, the whole thing is absurd. The way that it's written, it's absurd. The whole, you know, premise of it, it completely negates all of the history between uh, Rhodey and Nick Fury. And also, granted, if my memory serves me right, it wasn't that Rhodey ever worked for Nick Fury. He was never technically a part of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was part of a different division of, of uh, the armed forces. But they were uh, partners as far as uh, working in the superhero business and, and working, you know, for that uh, otherworldly, you know, bigger-than-life threat. And so they've got a history there. They've got a, a strong connection. But anyway, that whole entire thing falls flat. You see uh, Rhodey, he's basically coming to collect Nick Fury and force him to go back home. And for no reason that we're given, Nick Fury is able to just walk out of that meeting uh, by strong-arming one of the guys that's with uh, Rhodey. And he just walks out. And Rhodey just looks resigned to the whole thing. He's like, all right, fine. Like, I mean, I can't stop him. He's Nick Fury. Well, why can't you stop him? The guy's like... 80 years old now. He moves like an old man on the show. You could easily take him out. So they just there's a lot of disconnect going on there. And again, going back to the, the whole thing, I don't care one way or the other if a Marvel character dies. I think that's that's part of the, the journey, part of the, uh, the story. If you kill off a, a beloved character in a really great way, then it advances the story forward but the death of Maria Hill was inconsequential the uh, meeting with uh, War Machine inconsequential and then the mother of all dragons who is Talos's uh, daughter the the scroll that is secretly working behind the back of the head scroll which you come to find out he knew the entire time like, he wasn't surprised by her betrayal or that she was working in the background. He sets up this, uh, the main bad guy scroll, sets up this complicated, convoluted way to draw out the uh, the person that is betraying him, you know, the mole. And um, once that's finished, he just shoots her right in the chest, and she's dead. I mean, you had two seconds of connection with her to begin with because you remember her as the little girl from the Captain Marvel movie, but not really. And they never developed her character in any kind of significant way, so I didn't even care about her to begin with. And I didn't care that she was Talos' daughter because Talos at this point is not somebody I care about either. So when she got shot, it was, okay, she got shot. 
There was no shock, no surprise. What is shocking and surprising is by this point, you know that the main bad guy scroll actually possesses the powers of a super scroll, but he uses a gun to take her out, which is even weirder because they establish that they both meet each other when they're pretty young, when they're uh, maybe preteens in, in scroll age, I think. Maybe he might be 14, she might be 12 or something like that. And so they've got this long-term history of being the most minority of minority group on the planet. You know, they're a handful of scrolls, and they're, they're amongst the first that exist in the planet. And they know each other from childhood. She's been, uh, you know, she left her father to go work for him. So there's a, a lot of compounding betrayal that can be played with there. Instead, boom, she's just gone. Just like that. There's no, there's no emotion. I mean, certainly not on his side. There's no screaming on his side. There's no, I loved you. There's I mean, all the things that you could do with those characters. You know, Romeo and Juliet situation. None of it. All of it is just wasted down the drain. And it's, it's insane. He, the, the main bad guy has a meetup, a parlay with uh, Talos, with, you know, the, the Mother Dragon's father. And uh, there's no reason why the guy shouldn't just kill him in their meetup. In fact, the dude flexes when Talos tries to get physical with him. Every single person in the room at the, at the eatery, you know, the restaurant that they're at, turns into a scroll. Because everybody, it, all, the waiter staff, the the guests, everybody is a plant, and that lets ta that lets Talos know, hey, you ain't alone. You can't do anything to me, and and then after that meeting, Talos still stabs the dude in the hand and walks out. And nobody stops him. Huh? What? Like, who's writing this? And and why do you think that's good writing? That. That doesn't make any sense at all. You just stabbed my boss. I'm going to shoot you in the neck for even getting up and touching my boss, much less stabbing my boss in the hand. And we already know that my boss is an unhinged psycho. So if I didn't do something, I'd be worried that he's just going to blast me because that's another thing. The main bad guy doesn't seem to care that scrolls keep getting killed. There's actually... Uh, a finite amount of scrolls that exist on the planet and a lot of them have already been killed <laughs> like in the three episodes so far you've had a, a good amount of scrolls uh, get off and it's it's like whatever I mean we're just gonna keep moving along they're not they're not a precious resource they're an expendability so so again writers what what are you doing I I don't understand. I don't, and the bad guy has no chill at all. He can't just, he's not charming because he can't, the actor can't relax. He's always at a 10. Every time you look at him, you're like, oh, he's going to murder somebody. He's going to murder somebody now. He's going to murder somebody now. Oh, well, he didn't kill. Oh, oh no, there it is. He killed him. Okay. At, uh, other parts that I don't understand about this story, they spend guns, 
bullets, resources, you know, manpower to go um, save a scroll that has been captured and it's like, you know, he's being tortured in a, a back room of a deli. So the main bad guy goes off and, and gets a crew and they bust in there. They save the guy. They're driving back with him. The tension is insane. At this point, there should be no more tension, right? They're bringing the guy back home. They ask him if he said anything. He's like, nope, I didn't break. You know, I said nothing. I lied to them. Okay, cool. Heading back home. By the way, that scroll does not need to keep the face that he currently has. So it's not like the guys that captured him can find the guy again. He can always shapeshift into a woman. He can shapeshift into a child. He can shapeshift into any any race that you can think of. So he, the guy has options. Nah. Instead, they as they make their way back out into to their compound, which is uh, out in the woods, some nondescript place where there's a lot of radiation. They pull the car over, pull the guy out. Apparently, his best friend just offs him right there in the woods. They leave. But here's the other thing: they leave the body there. For anybody or anything to find, I maybe squirrels are tasty to the wildlife. I don't, I don't know, but I'm not going to assume that their biology is consumable by earth animals. So I'm, I'd be just as worried that hey, somebody's going to find a body out here, like a hiker or something, and maybe they're too close to the radiation. I don't know, but it just didn't seem like a. And in, in fact, you don't even get a clear view of how far away the guy gets killed from where they actually all congregate and live but it's it's just it's the little details in all of these stories that have been uh put out by marvel that are the most maddening because no one is stopping to think or ask the question or to run it by anybody else i mean that's the impression that i get over and over from these shows and it goes same with the star wars ones nobody's stopping to connect the dots and just double check and see hey does does this actually make sense like is this you know it, it's so weird so yeah it's i mean as of now you know for me it, everything's just been a disaster when it comes to writing um I don't need anything to be perfect. Obviously, you know, a lot of stories have plot holes in them, but I'm shocked by the uh, inability to, uh, you know, put together something that is, is semi-cohesive and and coherent, or that has the uh, the gravitas, you know, that you're looking for and that you kind of come to expect from uh, a Marvel, you know, outing. And, you know, it's it's been that way for a little while now. Like I said, um, I I wouldn't I would not be able to recommend this at all. I mean, I can still at least say that uh, that WandaVision and and Loki were enjoyable and interesting as to, you know, where they ended up at with with the story and and with the characters. Loki had some issues in my mind the whole idea of loving yourself literally, you know, with a, a female 
Loki version of Loki. That was, uh, you know, that, that's weird and continues to be weird and continues to be something I'm not really able to get over. Uh, I think, you know, Marvel had so many fantastic opportunities. Uh, they could have made that character the Enchantress and that character could have started out as her saying that she's a variant Loki, but then halfway through the season, it's revealed that she's actually the uh, Asgardian, uh, you know, Enchantress. And then you get to see her reasons and motivations, you know, for why she got close to Loki in the first place. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different options that could have happened. Same thing with WandaVision. You could have, instead of making Wanda the bad guy, you could have the entire time made us think that she was the bad guy. But then at the end, you have it revealed that it is, in fact, Agatha is truly the bad guy, the one that's been pulling all the strings, the one that has enslaved Wanda's mind and, in fact, has enslaved everybody in the town and made Wanda believe that she was the person that was doing all that. But, you know, this weird tarnishing of our heroes, and while those stories can be great, and they've done them over and over again, in the comic books, you've seen good guys go bad, and then you've seen the redemption of them. Uh, there's a really great way to tell that story. I feel like that has not actually been the case. And I think one of the things that has happened is there's so much goodwill for a lot of the characters because of the actors themselves who are able to turn something that is mediocre into something great, which that was the case with, I mean, with the... The three outings that stick out in my mind, Falcon and Winter Soldier, WandaVision, and Loki, all of them had major, major problems when it came to the story. All of those shows definitely, definitely were riding on the, uh, the tailcoats of the first three phases of Marvel, as well as just the really great chemistry and acting ability of, you know, the people playing those parts. They're, they're proof that you can, you can do a lot, even if you don't have a lot going on, on the foundation of the thing. It was pretty amazing. But, um, you know, you, then we saw kind of our first real outing of what it would look like not to have that. And Moon Knight was, it was good. You know, the, I mean, uh, Oscar, uh, Oscar Isaac is, is an incredible incredible actor so but you had no previous connection to you know anything that that he had worked on with marvel so the entire thing was just based on on the performance story-wise it was you know not the best and then uh, same thing with uh she hulk and that one that one was crazy to me because the actress had has gets such huge props for her role in Orphan Black and the performance that she's able to bring to the table. And yet that, you know, I, I watched the first two episodes and then the final episode and it, there was no, there's no quality in that. The entire thing was bad. The CG was bad. The direction that they took the character was awful. The, you know, they attempted that Deadpool 
uh, feel and flavor, and they fell so hard on their face. One of the lowest watch shows, you know, for Marvel of all time. And, and it just, if, if they had had really great storytelling, you will forgive a lot of CG. I mean, people have been forgiving CG for years now because, you know, you, you'll have a decent story. And vice versa, sometimes you get like such high quality CG that you forgive the story. And that's the way it is with the Avatar, the Avatar movies, you know, Way of Water in the first one. The CG is so good and, and such a spectacle and so compelling that you, you know, you forgive that the story is not, you know, the highest caliber. But um, anyway, getting back to, to Secret Invasion there's so many head scratching things. I I wish I could be a fly in the meeting, you know, all the meetings recently of why Marvel chooses to make the decisions that they make because um I well, and rather than a fly, I wish I was just part of the team. I'd be like, "Hey, no, don't do that. You're we're going to lose massive amounts of money if you do that. We're not going to create a buzz. We're not going to generate excitement if you do that." Go back to the source material. If you're going to call something Secret Invasion, use the comic book that it's based off and, and use that template to, to do your thing. If you're not going to do that, then don't use the name. Don't, don't waste a, a potentially Thanos-level awesome event. Instead, call it something else. Call it, you know, Nick Fury you know, the deconstruction or something, I don't know, name it something else, but don't take the name of something that people already know and not give them that. That's absurd. You know, you, you, you don't make anybody happy. You don't create any buzz. Why would you do that to yourself? It just, the choices that continue to be made are just mind blowing in terms of like, what, what are you thinking? Where, why do you think this is a good idea? Where are you getting, you know, the, this, this, who's telling you that this is a good thing, Kevin Feige? Because they are completely steering you wrong when it comes to, uh, the quality and, and the, the, the level of, of love, you know, that, that is waning fast and we're seeing it in all areas, you know, of, of, Disney media, and it is a super bummer, but man, anyway, so I will be back, I, uh, this was, uh, an on-the-road, uh, pod, but I will probably finish this up at home, so I will come back and talk to you guys later. Well, here we are, the final segment of a three-parter you guys know nothing about, because I had to break this up into several um, different recordings, um, better late than never, uh, but I am sorry that it is late, normally I've got it on time on Friday, just didn't work out that way, part of that is I am getting ready for San Diego Comic-Con, man, there's been, <laughs> there's been a lot of news about Comic-Con, about the writer's strike, now the actor's strike, all of the dumb things that uh, the head boss of Disney has been uh, putting out there. 
And I think there's four different articles that have been written, but I think they all come from the same um, interview. And I think what people did was they just broke that up into four separate sections. Bob Iger was talking about um, the fact that the writers, uh, not the writer's strike, but well, yeah, the writer's strike and the uh, actor strike is really a really bad idea for the overall um, health of, you know, the studios and, and the movie going business, which is, you know, duh, of course, that makes, yeah, of course, it's not a good thing. And I'd have to go and read the whole article. I, I actually just read bits and pieces of it. Uh, somebody translated into, you can go watch it. There's actually a video of it. But um, anyway, so there's that going on. There is a report that uh, the studios are not bargaining with anybody, they, you know, from the writers to, to the uh, actors. And in fact, one of the things that they proposed to put on the table is th the studios, whatever studio this is, because I'm, I'm not really sure who, uh, it didn't exactly specify in the article or even in the uh, live uh, TV, you know, from the, from the union. Uh, apparently the nanny, Fran Drescher, is the head of the writers' union or the actors' union, which I didn't know anything about, but... Uh, they were talking about the studios had proposed that one of the things that they wanted was the ability to take a background actor and take their likeness, pay them for one day's work, but take their likeness and use it in perpetuity without further payment, which, you know, I, I'm, I'll be the first to tell you I am a capitalist. And so whatever anybody agrees to, you know, the, the whole idea of pay for play, that's been something that's been going on forever in comics, for example. When you go and you tell a Spider-Man story or you draw a Spider-Man story, Spider-Man doesn't belong to you. And so when you write or draw that story and whatever you got paid for that, that's a one and done deal. And you know going into it that that's how that works. So, you know, freelancers in that forum will continue to get work. And as they continue to get more popular and they continue to get better, they will get more and more work. If they're consistent, if they're, their uh, work is quality and they're on time with their projects, you know, DC, Marvel, Dark Horse, Image, any of those companies are happy to continue to give work to talented people but the ip belongs to those entities and those entities pay you for your time and that's it it's a one and done very few times is there a some kind of collaborative you know uh mutually beneficial um you know we we distribute but you own the ip type of deal there, there's quite a few people that have been able to pull that off uh, Mike Mignola with Hellboy, uh, Mark Miller from Scotland. He's a Scottish writer. He's got several IPs out there that belong to him. In fact, he sold part of his catalog to Netflix and became uber wealthy. But um, in general, you'll have somebody like a Brian Hitch or an Alan Davis or a Adam Hughes or a Jim Lee where they don't own the work. Or they just, you know, they create all the beautiful images that you associate with it, but that belongs to DC and Marvel. Uh, when it comes to this 
thing with the actors, that to me is disgusting. Uh, I, I, I don't know how else to put it. I, just, it, it is the grossest idea to think that a company can ask for your likeness, you, in perpetuity and not pay you anything for it after the first time. That's insane. I, I don't really even understand who, what human being crafted that and thought that that was a good idea to put out there or that anybody would, would actually go for it. Um, it. It seems like insanity to me. One, that it would be proposed. Two, that anybody would even consider it, no matter how desperate you are. I think we're coming to this point in um, creativity where companies, and I hate this. Look, I, I, I wasn't even going to go this route with this, but it just it got me really thinking about it right now. Uh, there's a... there. Always there's this massive, uh, you know, voice online talking about the um, inequality from uh, companies to their workers. Again, I'm not a union guy. I don't I don't buy unions. I don't think that they're good for individuals. Uh, And again, in general, I believe that if you get hired by a company, whatever they pay you, whatever you both agree to, then that's that's what it is. And. And it's a mutual agreement, and you have to honor that on both ends of it. <clears throat> that being said, <clears throat> there is this huge gap that is, I mean, I don't even know, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, there is this, you know, the idea that a company could own your likeness or uh, or would even ask for it without paying you consistently uh or you know that you would get uh, again you know what that i actually i can't even liken it to that because that's a that's a whole separate thing when you write an episode of a of a um of a tv show or you write a movie and you get residuals that to me is whatever i think it's what uh, whatever you can broker for yourself i think is what is right actually that that's where I'm uh that's where I fall on that that's my capitalistic view of that that uh it's sad that you need or that you feel like you would need a union to to uh make that happen but it's it's hollywood they got into a specific system that they agreed upon and so they should honor that and live by that or they can renegotiate the terms as they're trying to do that's the point that I'm trying to get to I think what's gross about all this is a report that came out that Hollywood, meaning all the studios, have decided through uh, uh, anonymous sources that their goal is to continue to let the strike uh, bleed out until October. And according to anonymous sources, what the plan is, is they want to make sure that people can't pay their rent and people lose their houses so that when they come back to the bargaining table, they come back with far less power than what they currently have. Now, if that's true, that's actually the case. I, it's it sounds disgusting, and and my opinion is, why would you ever go back to that system ever? When if that's how they view you and view your work, and uh, there's no reason to do work for them, and I think that's the greater point of what's being missed here. 
everybody wants some kind of fairness and they're saying, hey, the studios need to do the right thing. But what is the right thing? According to who? You know, according to morality, what morality? Which one? Whose morality? Tell me that. Like, tell me whose morality first, and then I will tell you whether I agree or disagree with you. Instead of, of going into that convoluted idea, because nobody's going to agree on whose morality, uh, just common decency. What is that? What is common decency? There's no... We, we don't even see it anywhere in the world. You know, we are restrained in society by the laws that exist. The idea is, hey, if you do this, this is going to happen to you. Now, that's fallen apart here in California, for example. You can steal $900 worth of, of uh, you know, anything, and you're not going to get in trouble for it. Or you're going to get a slap on the wrist at the, at the worst, right? You can punch somebody out on, a, on a, uh, a bus or on the subway, and very little is going to happen to you. Unless you're white, then a lot's going to happen to you. But if you're not, if you're anything else and you punch somebody out, hey, it's, you know, it's your childhood that you grew up with. You're not responsible. It's not your fault. Whatever. So going back to this idea of, of fairness, um, I think you're better off as an individual is instead of looking for fairness, go start your own thing. Don't wait for anybody to drop breadcrumbs on you. And so here, here's the other thing. Well, Alex, I'm not established. I, I, don't have, uh, I don't have credentials. Okay, that was, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, that was an argument. That argument doesn't exist anymore. That now we're, we're at a point in society with a particular um, uh, generation of youth where they're not, uh, they, they don't know the old ways. They're not impressed by the old ways. They, they're not looking for nostalgia. They're looking to follow the things that they like. And a prime example of that, you've got an entire generation of freaks that are paying for people's feet online. Think about that. Okay. What? Like, that's an economy? Okay. Well, so that... That'll tell you something, that if people can make a really good living doing that, that means people are willing to pay for people that they don't know, for their work, for their writing, for their art. It, what it comes down to is you got to hustle. That's it. That, that's what the, this whole situation with these studios is telling me, is you got to get to the point where you can't wait for anybody else to validate whatever it is that you do. You got to go out and hustle. You got to market. You got to ring the bell. You got to let people know that you're there. That's the that's the only validation that you're going to be able to get is customer service validation. You provide something, you are kind to people. You you know, you provide a service and they reward you for it. And you don't go through Disney, you don't go through Nickelodeon, you don't go through DreamWorks, you don't go through uh, any of the, you know, Netflix, Sony, you don't go through any of the uh, avenues that people are, are seeking for validation because one, that system is severely broken. Two, they're not going to pay you what you're worth. They're not even going to respect you or appreciate your time. It, what, they, what they respect and appreciate is their own IP 
and their own IP making millions, if not billions of dollars for them. So instead of going out and drawing Spider-Man, create your own Spider-Man. You can, uh, that is 100% available to everybody. There's a really great example of this to me is um, uh, the guy who wrote, uh, uh, Brandon Sanderson, he wrote these books called the Mistborn Trilogy. Brilliant books, like, I guess you would consider them uh, young adult books, maybe. Um, I, I'm not really sure what classification they fall under. But the main character and the hero of the book is this uh, girl, and she has a unique ability to, well, the, the, the way that the power system works there is there are a few individuals that have the ability to process heavy metals and depending on which heavy metal they're able to to process in their body for example whether it's copper or nickel or silver um that pro that that use of that metal activates their uh inborn abilities and usually everybody is is sectioned off into different you know there's like a uh, uh copper will make you strong silver will make you fast you know I, i'm i don't remember the exact set of of abilities and how they work but basic that's a basic concept is like one metal will will make you uh will help you activate your ability but you're only stuck with that one ability like you're born with it like a mutant so if you are born with the ability to be strong then then copper is the only thing that you're able to to process in your body for that particular talent she's one of the very 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 unique uh people in the world that is actually able to um take advantage of all the metals and she's able to burn them all and they give her you know a huge amount of abilities and long before we got into this idea of uh a girl that is good at everything and can do anything like ray from star wars or, or you know just what well, the era they're currently in, which is women are as good, if not better than any man, and they're just as capable and they don't need to, you know, like She-Hulk, they don't need extensive training from a mentor. They're already good at everything. Before we get into that poor writing idea, that poor writing concept, there was a Mistborn trilogy where you see somebody I mean, just it, her training is rough uh, emotionally and physically, and she earns it. And it's a fantastic story. Can't recommend it enough. Well, anyway, my my main point is Brandon Sanderson found a way in with a concept that is as old as time. There's nothing new or unique about any of the abilities of the people that are uh, in the that are represented in the books. At the end of the day, you have a strong guy, you have a fast person, you have a, you know, uh, whatever, a, a healing person, you've got an invulnerable person. So at the end of the day, you have all the basic powers that we've already known and grew up with. What he did is he found a tiny little twist and entry point into showing those powers off in, a, in such a cool, unique way that it shows you what's possible. I, I, again, if you love Spider-Man, Make your own Spider-Man. Just don't make Peter Parker. Don't give him the same background. Don't give him the same life experiences. 
don't give him the same problems that that Spider-Man goes through. Change it up. Give him different abilities, you know, or her, him or her, whatever Spider-Person you want to make. You know, give them different abilities, a different connection to the arachnid world, different mythology. There is, uh, that's the thing I think that's going to end up happening with this situation and with these people is these writers and these directors and these creative people that are begging for scraps uh, from these huge mega corporations that believe uh, that, you know, whatever they give you is that's what you're worth rather than than living off of that go make your own thing eventually it, you know if it gets enough traction and it's and it's good whatever that thing is you're going to have those mega corporations calling you know coming to your door and wanting to buy that off you for a big chunk of change and then you're going to have to hold strong and not sell off because that's the other thing too that's happening is people sold their dreams for very, very cheap. And then, you know, a company that had um, the infrastructure and and the wherewithal to uh, to market that thing, you know, turned it in, into billion-dollar industries. I say hold on to your stuff. License it, but don't sell it off. Make something great and live off it. That that's what needs to happen. And that's what they're driving people towards. There's this really fantastic artist I talk about a lot, Loish, L-O-I-S-H. I follow her on her Patreon, five bucks a month. Completely worth it. She gives so much content. It's crazy. Tutorials, beautiful drawings almost every single day. She's just she's constantly working for her audience. Well, when she started her Patreon, I think she started with like 3,000 or 4,000 people. She's up to 11,000 people. She's got two tiers. One of them is five bucks. One of them is 10. I don't know exactly what percentage is which, you know, whether let's say 80% of it is the $5 tier. And then the, the final 20% is the $10 tier, whatever it is. Let's say, let's say she's at the lowest tier that everybody's just paying five bucks for that, which actually is not true. I know this for a fact, but let's just say that's that's where she's at. With 11,000 plus Patreons following her, that girl is making about $55,000 a month. She was doing a bunch of freelance work for a bunch of different companies. I've not heard a peep about her uh, doing any work for anybody. She's spending her full-time, her full-time job is maintaining her, her Patreon and providing content and tutorials and um you know check in with us and boy is i mean she's killing it just killing it and that is possible now she spent years building up her marketing you know building up her social media so i'm not saying tomorrow you're going to be able to have the same results no matter how good your content is you got to build it up, but that's the whole point. It, whether you're working for a corporation or you're working for yourself, the end result is exactly the same. And in fact, I'll tell you right now, I feel really, really bad for a lot of creators out there that were working for Disney for, I don't know, 20 plus years or more and had no social media, had no 
uh, um, no following, and they just got let go by the company just a couple of months ago, quietly. They just, boom, disappeared. Those people had great jobs with great pay, great benefits, and now they are gone. Now, does that mean that they're not going to be able to get picked up by someone else? No, that doesn't mean that at all. Talent rises to the top. Of course, they're going to get picked up by some other uh, studio. But man, why leave yourself in that position? In that, uh, you know, being beholden to someone else and and uh, your fate being in the hands of someone else. I just, I am, as far as the talent pool goes, I'm at the lowest and I have the least amount of knowledge and understanding and I am still learning new processes and and uh you know basically i'm still developing my my art like it's it's a bummer that i didn't you know wasn't consistent when i was younger and just stuck with it and dropped everything into it i got scared and and ran away from um you know what what essentially is an unknowable i i i turned towards safety which was in my case uh management and which you know even that I, I fell into by accident but i i went towards safety and security because i had a young family and i didn't push towards what i felt you know what i felt like i was meant to do and that's changed now i i'm pushing towards what i felt like i was meant to do but even in this it's been a, a really weird journey of trying to figure out what it is that I want to do, you know, and uh, I there's been many times where I wanted to give up and and I I was disheartened because I had no clear direction. I have a clear direction now. Whether I'm whether I'm going to be able to pull it off or not, I don't know. That I'm not sure about. What I do know is I have to pursue this direction that I'm going towards, which means, you know, getting back into marketing getting back into letting people know that i'm that i'm here um and that's a that's a tough you know that, that that's a daunting idea but it's something i gotta do i gotta i gotta practice what i'm preaching and in this case it's don't let anybody val you know wait to to validate you don't don't wait on someone else um that doesn't mean don't go after the things that you love like it again if you love a, a particular IP, Star Wars, Marvel, whatever, you should definitely try to do work for that stuff. I, in this regard, I'm not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't pursue those things. I'm saying those aren't the only things that you should pursue. Because if, that's, if you put all your eggs in that basket, that basket is going to fall apart. Your eggs are going to fall out. They're going to break all over the ground and you will have never gotten a chance to use them. So really, the only reason to do any IP work for a company is actually just to get traction on your own stuff. That At the end of the day, they're just as much a marketing tool as Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. That's all that is. I mean, even this, like uh, I, you know, say my thoughts and I ramble, but uh, uh, even this helps me work out and also get the word out but to work out my ideas and and my perspective and where I'm going, although I do apologize, a lot of the time my perspective is not very clear. I understand it's 
and it might even be maddening for anybody out there who's listening, but I'm just like you. I'm trying to work all this out as best I can. And, you know, one of the things that I've discovered over the last few years too, is that the pie is so big that there's no reason to be stingy with any information ever. It's like the most, it's the grossest move ever when people will not um, when you ask somebody directly about something and they won't tell you because they're worried that you're going to take their spot, <laughs> like, man, that is the wrong way to think. I, I, everybody that comes to visit me at the Wonderground Gallery, any information that I have, it is yours. Any a, Anything. Because I don't see the point of holding back on information. And in fact, you know, that's what podcasting is about is, is a lot of time is giving out information intentionally or unintentionally in this regard. Uh, I would say, you know, my, my encouragement to anybody out there listening, don't wait for validation from some corporation or some entity. Start working for yourself now, even if it's in small increments, because what you do now will have a huge difference in a year. If, if you're working for yourself at least one hour a day, you will see, you know, uh, dividends pay off of that. Like you, you will see uh, an excellent return. Even just to say, hey, I finished X amount of projects this, this year, wh whether it was three or five or 10 or whatever it was. If you're a writer or you're an artist or a musician or a director, whatever it is, man, it, at the end of the day, nobody is going to be able to stop hard work and nobody is going to be able to, um, you know, what, what's the word that I'm trying to, what am I thinking of here? Basically, if you invest in yourself, you're not waiting for, uh, on anybody else. And, uh, the tools for that have gotten better and better and better. Like it's crazy how easy it is now to put things together uh, that sound professional and great for free. So if you've got that story, you've got that character, you've got that art, you've got that music, you've got that book, start now. Start now. Get it out there. Get out there as quickly as possible so you can get on to the next one and, you know, collaborate with your bros. Collaborate with, you know, the, the people in your, uh, in your circle because that, humans need humans to play off one another. Uh, I got way far afield of what I was originally talking about. Um, so anyway, I would also recommend go check out online the things that Iger said about Marvel Studios, about uh, the actor, director guild, uh, not director, the writers guild. Uh, go check out. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's insane, man. It's, excuse me. Wow. It is uh, not not good. And Comic-Con, I am super excited. Nervous, always. I always get nervous before a convention. But I'm also really excited to be there this year. It looks like it's going to be a old-fashioned, actual con uh, comic book convention. Meaning, you know, focus and emphasis on art, uh, comics, writing, uh, small press. And that's pretty awesome um <laughs> every time i look i mean there is 
one panel after the next constantly being uh, canceled. It it's insane. I, uh, you know, on the one hand, I think uh, San Diego Comic Con has nothing to worry about because they've already made all their money with the pre-sales from the uh, tickets. So there's no concern there. But on the other hand, it is pretty rough that a bunch of uh, studios, actors, uh, you know, and, and companies that they that they um, were relying on are just completely pulling out from from this year. It's it's crazy. I mean, just uh, one after the other. It, so I I think you know are they going to survive? Absolutely. I really believe that. I think um, it's going to be a very interesting convention. I'm I'm going to hopefully uh, be podcasting from there every single day, um, and I'll let you guys know how it went for sure. So anyway, thanks for listening. Sorry that this one was late, and uh, I will definitely be. Uh, sending info and letting you guys know how it goes so with that being said love you guys i hope you guys have a great weekend take your vitamins drink your <laughs> drink your water eat your vegetables i'll talk to you later bye